So again, what I'm going to deal with today, I'm going to deal with another tough subject. <laughs> I'm going to deal with another controversial subject. But I, I need you guys to hear my, my pattern of thinking as I approach these certain tough topics. A couple of thoughts that I have. Uh, first of all, I like to let the Bible define itself. Everybody shout, let the scripture define itself. So, so, so what, what happens is sometimes through our denominational lens or our uh, upbringing, we read into a scripture a certain meaning that the Bible didn't assign to that. And so because you see that particular phrase or that idea meaning this, everywhere you see it in the rest of the text, you automatically assign that. You shouldn't do that. When the scripture gives a term, let the Bible define its own term. Here's another approach to the scripture. I like to read the scripture systematically. Matter of fact, it's a discipline known as systematic theology. And what systematic theology is, it's the study of a subject throughout the entire Bible. So I want to know what the entire scripture has to say about this particular subject. And not, okay, let me, so we're dealing with the Holy Spirit on today and how he manifests himself in the lives of believers. That's what we're dealing with today. Oftentimes when we approach the Holy Spirit, what we do is we go to Acts, uh, one of our favorite little scriptures, pet scriptures, and we form an entire doctrine out of that one scripture, and we isolate it from what it has to say in the rest of the book. So as I'm approaching this, this thought of the Holy Spirit, who he is and his function in our lives, I, I love it because I have several friends from different backgrounds, denominational, and, and I, 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 I kind of engage with them concerning their school of thought. I read a lot of their books, um, asked them a bunch of questions, went to my own elders and ministers, and we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now, getting their thoughts because I wanted to make sure what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing is actually in the text. So there's some things, I'm going to go ahead and warn you, there's some things that God has shown me, I believe that God has shown me, that's probably going to put some of y'all at a little uneasiness because you never heard that, or if you did hear it, you were probably taught against it, but I believe, I believe what I'm getting ready to teach is God's thought when it comes to the Spirit of God in us. You can't say amen yet, I was going to say y'all say amen, but you can't say amen yet. Just say, I'm going to follow you, Pastor. All right. So this is what I want to do. I want to start here with this thought. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. All right, there we go. I'm going to start with my foundational text in the book of Acts, chapter number 8, uh, verses, starting at verses number 5. The Bible declares, Philip went down to the city of Samaria, everybody shout Samaria, and proclaimed to them the Christ. Six declares, and the crowd with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, seven declares, uh, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy. Everybody shout, much joy. The Bible declares that there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. Verse number 11, and they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were, everybody shall baptized. They were baptized, both men and women. 14, now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the power, received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. 
16, and he had not yet fallen on any of them. Everybody shall fall upon them. The Bible declares that he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Father, I want to thank you uh, so much, God, for this opportunity to minister the Word of God. God, I believe that there's clarity that you desire to bring only for the express purpose of us walking more faithfully and diligently in your word. Spirit of God, minister through this vessel of clay. Have your way. Do what you desire to do. And it is in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody says. Now watch this. There are many manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Many different manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But there are only two primary functions of the Spirit of God concerning humanity. And the two primary functions of the Spirit of God is that he abides within us and he also rests upon us. So many manifestations, many, many manifestations, many signs that he gives us that he is present in us, in us and upon us. But all of those manifestations can be assigned to two primary functions that he has with us. He abides on the inside of us, but he also rests upon the inside. Uh, uh, he abides in us, but he also rests upon us. Now, I want to highlight some biblical terminology when it comes to the Holy Spirit resting upon us. And again, I like for the Bible to define its own terms instead of us reading meaning into what we think that term means. When it comes to the Spirit of God resting upon us, there are four primary terms that are used, and I'm reading this out of the ESV, um, fall on us, came upon, rushed upon, and filled with. Fall on, came upon, rushed upon, filled with. That, that final one is one of the most controversial because usually when the individual use the terminology of being filled with the Holy Spirit, they think about the indwelling, but the way the Bible actually used filling is not indwelling, but it's actually resting upon. Follow me. In the Old Testament, we understand that nobody was uh, uh, indwelled by the Spirit of God. No, nobody. David, Isaiah, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Jeremiah, no king, no prophet had the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. Anyone who had the Holy Spirit, he was not in them, but he only rested upon them. Every king, every prophet, every judge. In the book of Judges, chapter number 3, verse number 10, the Bible declares the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he, he did something, and he judged Israel. In the book of Exodus, chapter number 31, verse number 3, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Now, again, we know that nobody in the Old Testament had the Spirit of God in them. He only rested up on them. So this feeling that he's talking about is not an internal work. It is an external work of the Holy Spirit actually hovering over or resting upon them. Judges 14 and 6. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces. Micah 3 and 8. I, have, I am filled with the power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression. Luke 167. Oh, hold on, hold on, Pastor McGee. I thought, I thought you said um, this, this was this, this New Testament. Now, this is, this is New Testament, and, and they're filled. Yes. Zechariah, in the book of Luke, has the Spirit of God resting upon him and not in him because he's still under the old dispensation because Pentecost hadn't transpired yet. It's only at the point of Pentecost do we see that this powerful Spirit of God actually lives and abides on the inside of us. Outside of that, he is only on us and not in us. So... What's the purpose of the Spirit of God actually resting upon us? I'll show you what the purpose is. It's two. Number one, for effective service. Here is the second reason that the Spirit of God rests upon us. 
for heavenly approval of a particular purpose or his plan. The scriptures that I just read to you demonstrate that every time the Spirit of God rested upon somebody, they did something. Every time the Spirit was, was, was hovering over them or they were filled with the Spirit of God, they were filled because they were doing something for God, for more effective service. The second reason that the Spirit of God rests upon us is that when God chooses, everybody shout, when God chooses. Watch this. When God chooses to give a sign to a particular people that he has chosen somebody as his man or his woman of God. I'll show you in the text in the book of 1 Samuel chapter number 10, verse number 10. The Bible declares, when they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him and the spirit of God rushed upon him and he prophesied among them. Now look at me for a second. Who are we talking about? We're talking about King Saul. The people of God has asked God for a king and they need some type of distinction to be able to verify that this is the man that God has chosen for us for, for as a king. So the spirit of God comes upon him, rushed upon him and he prophesied. Look at, look at what they say in verse number 11. And when all who knew him previously... <laughs> saw how he prophesied with the prophets. The people said to one another, what has come over the son of Kish? <laughs> they see that there is something that this man is doing that he cannot do in his own strength, in his own power. Therefore, to validate that this is my man, I put my spirit upon him. Can y'all see that? So the functions of the Holy Spirit are two. It rests upon us, but not only does the Spirit of God rest upon us, he abides on the inside of us. The book of John, chapter number 14, verse number 15, Jesus speaks and he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he, watch this, he dwells with you. But in just a minute, the one that dwells with you will be on the inside of you. This is news to the disciples because the disciples know the stories of how the spirit of God rested upon Saul, how he rested upon David, how he rested upon Samson and he did these great feats. But we never hear until now that the spirit of God is not just going to rest upon us. He going to be on the inside of us. So let me give you some biblical terminology. I showed you the biblical terminology of the Spirit of God resting upon us. And again, again, if we're going to allow the Bible to define its own terms, then there are some things that we have said as well as been taught that are not necessarily biblically sound. Because when it comes to the feeling of the Spirit of God, that's not talking about the work on the inside of us. It's actually talking about the work that's upon us. So the biblical terminology of him resting upon us has fallen on us, came, up, came on us, uh, rushed upon us, filled with him. Here's the biblical terminology when it comes to the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. Here's the first one, baptized in the Holy Spirit, bear witness with our spirit, and here's the third one, sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, this first one, baptized in the Holy Spirit, now this is the, the, the controversial one because usually when someone thinks of an individual actually encountering the power of God with different manifestations, they think of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But this is what I did. With, ev with everything that you're seeing right now, when it comes to filled with the Holy Spirit, I, I, I searched in, in my computer software and everywhere I saw Filled with the Holy Spirit, it was talking about an external manifestation, not an internal work. And everywhere I would see baptized in the Holy Spirit, it was actually talking about an internal work and not an external manifestation. Let me show you. There are seven places in the Scripture, New Testament, that this phrase is used, baptized in the Holy Spirit. In the Greek, baptizo in pneumate. It's all the same phrase in these seven places. The first four places are in the gospel. Matthew 3.11, Mark 1 and 8, Luke 3.16, John 1.33, Acts 1 and 5, 
Acts 11, 16, and finally, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And the first four places, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're all speaking of John's instructions of what's getting ready to happen with Jesus. For the sake of time, I'm only going to read one. They all say basically the same thing, but I'm just going to read John 1, 33. The Bible declares, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom, which is Jesus, the, uh, you see the Spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So John says, I was sent to take you and submerge you in water. I am the agent. The water is the substance, and I am going to submerge you into water. But there is one that's coming that's mightier than I am, and he is going to take, and we see this later on, not your body, not your soul, but he's going to take your human spirit, and just like I submerged your body into water, he's going to take your human spirit and submerge it in the Holy Ghost. So these four passages in the gospel basically say the same thing. But when we get to Acts, uh, let's go to chapter number 1, verse number 5. 11 says the same thing, but it, it adds something to it to give us more clarity than John did. He says in Acts chapter number 1, verse number 5, For John baptized with uh, water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What we see in this one we still see the same concept, just like John emerged or submerged us in water. Jesus is going to submerge our human spirit into the Holy Spirit, but he gives us a time frame, not many days from now. Speaking of Acts chapter number 2, the day of Pentecost, he's saying this is the actual day it's going to happen and transpire. Acts chapter number 11, he's going to highlight reflecting back to this particular event. But if we're going to allow the scripture to define itself... Let's get an understanding of what this baptism in the Holy Spirit actually is. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, verse number 13 declares, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. This spirit baptism constitutes me being a part of the family of God. The spirit baptism is not about tongues, it's not about prophecy, it's not about any manifestation externally. The baptism of the Holy Spirit actually speaks to my human spirit, bearing witness with the Holy Spirit as Romans 8 does, teaches us. Romans 8 chapter number 16 declares that the spirit himself, watch this, the spirit himself bears witness with our human spirit that we are children of God. What, what, what is he talking about? He's talking about the same spirit baptism that Jesus accomplished for us when he took our human spirit and dipped it, submerged it into the Holy Spirit. Ephesians teaches us 1 and 13, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. John, ooh, we were, we were what, y'all? We were what, y'all? We were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Unlike John's baptism that dipped us and brought us up, when Jesus baptized us, he kept our spirit submerged. So the Holy Spirit has two functions in the lives of the believer. He abides within and he rests upon. When he abides within, a part of the function of him abiding within is to produce fruit in your life. Everybody shout fruit. He wants to produce fruit on the inside of you. What is the fruit that the Holy Spirit wants to produce on the inside of you? Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against uh, things. There is no law. God wants to produce a type of love in you that you don't have on your own. Let, let me tell you, let me tell you, uh, my, my wife, she says this, and I, and I believe her. She says there's no love like a mother's love. And I ain't arguing with that because then none of them kind of come out, they, they, they just, 
They didn't. <laughs> Let me not be perverted. They didn't come out, neither did they suck on. <laughs> okay, y'all. Some of y'all like, Pastor, what are you talking about? I didn't breastfeed any of them. So that's a mother love. But let me tell you something. <laughs> Even with a mother love, you can get tired of them rascals. <laughs> y'all gonna do me like that? I ain't stunning y'all. Happy Father's Day to you too. <laughs> them rascals will get on your nerves. And the one who came out of your body, come on, and you, you sacrificially nurse them. There is a love that the Holy Spirit has to produce on the inside of you because there are times when your kids do something, a mother's love ain't enough. You need what's known as agape love. <laughs> and when the Spirit abides on the inside of you, he produces agape. Are y'all with me in this place? I love for, for e events. I love for, for good times. I love for Father's Day. Man, all these trucks been backing up at my house. I've been like, come on, bring them on, bring them on. You know what that has made me? It's made me happy. I'm happy. But watch this. Happiness is an emotional response because something's happening. For whatever reason, I'm not as happy on Mother's Day. <laughs> Ain't nobody buying me nothing. Matter of fact, I'm stressing trying to figure out what to buy her. Happiness is an emotional response because something is actually happening. But joy, come on somebody. Joy is this internal uh, uh, fruit that the Spirit of God produces that when nothing is going on, you got a smile on your face. Even in, the, even in bad times, when bad news transpires, I'm still in a good place because I, I'm not just uh, uh, hanging on, on happiness, but I'm hanging on the fact that the Spirit of God living within me produces, everybody shout, joy. How is it when the boat is shaking and rocking, you, yeah, you, you got peace on the inside? And you ain't got peace because you're crazy. You got peace because you got the abiding presence of the Spirit of God. Everybody shout, he lives in me. So the Spirit of God, he abides within you. And in his abiding, his desire is to produce fruit on the inside of you. But by the same token, not only does he abide in you, but he also rests upon you. And there are two reasons. Hear me, hear me, hear me. There are two reasons why the Spirit of God. Where, where, where you get this from, Pastor? Where you get this from? I, I searched every scripture from Old to New Testament where it said, fell upon, came upon, rushed upon, filled with. And out of all those scriptures that I looked at, I found two reasons why the Spirit of God fell upon, came upon, rushed upon, or filled the people with. And these are the two reasons. Number one, because he wanted them to more effectively serve him. They could do more with his presence upon them than they could by themselves. That's the first reason. Here's the second reason. Whenever he got ready to validate a man or a woman, you know what? It's actually happening here. Some of y'all don't walk in this place and y'all don't saw this young, young preacher looking like he 20-something. <laughs> like he 20-something. And you like, you're like, well, he finna teach me. He finna teach me nothing. I need to be up there. And then God does something crazy in me. And it, it, it blows my mind. It blows my mind. Because he'll do something. I'll be like, oh, thank God. I'm, wow, wow. But not knowing that he only did that not to prove nothing to me, but he did that to validate me in front of the... So this is what I want to do just for a moment. This, this is what I want to do. In the book of John, chapter number 14, verse number 7, this is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus promises his disciples. He promises them, everybody shout two things. He promises them two things. John 14, 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be what, y'all? He's going to be in you. So Jesus promised the disciples something that had never happened before. 
Nowhere in the Old Testament do you see the Spirit of God residing in, and this phrase filled with is synonymous to him resting upon, not abiding in. Am I making sense? So he promised them that the Spirit of God will, he, he will be in you, but then he turns around in Acts chapter number 1, verse number 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has what, y'all? Not only will he be in you, he going to rest up. Not only is he going to be in you and produce the fruit of love, joy, and peace, and self-control, and gentleness, and goodness, but he's also going to rest upon you because with this power resting upon you, it's going to make you more effective in what I called you to do. And then there are going to be certain people around you who are going to need to know that I am with you, and my resting upon you is going to produce certain signs that's going to communicate to them that I am with you. So Acts chapter number 2, verse number 1, something happens. Let, let, me, let me say it. Okay, so, so controversial statement, but I'm going to say it. Acts chapter number 2, <laughs> something happens. Y'all stay with me because I'm going to show you in the scripture. Something happens that doesn't always happen at the same time. Something happens in Acts chapter number two that doesn't always happen at the same time. Acts chapter number two, verse number one, the Bible declares when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Verse number three, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What's happening in Acts chapter number two is something that doesn't always happen at the same time. We know that the Spirit of God came in them because the uh, uh, John testified that you would be baptized, that your human spirit would be submerged in the Holy Spirit. But not only did he come in them, he also rested upon them. So, again, he came in them. Why did he rest upon them? For two reasons. Number one, they need power to serve. Because they're going to have to minister to these people. Here's the second reason he came upon them. Acts chapter number 2, verse number 7. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? God did it. He empowered them not only to minister, but he used this phenomena as a sign to the rest of the people that I am with them. So this is what I want to do. Um, my, my ministers and I, we've been, uh, we, we've been tackling several tough ta texts in the book of Acts. Several tough texts in the book of Acts. We've been going back and forth. Um, I've been throwing questions out there, getting their thoughts, getting their uh, insight, and I'm giving my conclusion to y'all today of what I believe that God is showing me concerning these tough texts. We're going to start with Acts chapter number 8 because Acts chapter number 8 is a theology that um, many of my oneness preachers embrace as proof text that you ain't even saved unless you speak it in tongues. <laughs> you ain't even saved. You saved? Yeah, I'm saved. Speaking tongues right now. So I, I want to I highlight what it says and actually show you the functions of the Holy Spirit. Because, whoo, I'm, I'm, getting there, I'm getting there too fast. I'm getting there too fast. Okay, let me go ahead. I'm, since I'm there, I might as well go there. Some of y'all going to cringe already. I know you're going to cringe, but just follow your boy. Whether you're in the oneness camp or you embrace more of the charismatic um, kind of mindset that you can be saved, um, but you still have to tarry, wait, or pursue the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, 
whether you're in those, either one of those camps, there, there is a, there is a um, teaching that I really disagree with that's very, very popular. And before I tell you what that popular teaching is, let me prep the conversation with this idea. There is a difference between biblical description and biblical prescription. Description is just describing what happened. Prescription is saying this is what you got to do. And in both of those camps, they say that tongues is the evidence that you have the Holy Ghost. Tongues is the evidence that you have the Holy Spirit. Here's the problem that I have with that. You will not find the text from Genesis to Revelation that actually says that if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Ghost. It ain't in there. It ain't in there. It is not prescriptive. You will not say it. Paul did not write. Y'all ain't speaking tongues, so y'all ain't saved. Peter did not say it. It's not in there. Where we get this from is a description of many people who were filled with the Holy Spirit spake in tongues. Now, we can see that, but here's the challenge with this. In order to make that description prescription, you have to say any and everybody who ever was filled with the Holy Spirit they had to speak in tongues in every instance, in every text. The problem is you have several places in the scripture that people were filled and they didn't speak in tongues. Saul, when he was filled, he prophesied. Zechariah, when he was filled, he prophesied. His wife Elizabeth, when she was filled, she spoke with word of wisdom, word of knowledge. Acts chapter number four, verse number 31, when they were filled, they spoke the word of God more boldly. So you cannot say that you don't have the Holy Ghost. You don't speak in tongues because there's no scripture that says that this has to be the only evidence. And some of you all, let me free you. Because some of you guys, the Spirit of God is actually manifesting himself in other ways, but you are quenching him and limiting him and saying what you ain't got and what you are not because, ooh, yeah, hold on, hold on, hold on. Didn't I tell you, didn't I tell you that God will use the power of the Holy Ghost as a sign to communicate? Notice I said God does this, not you. So it's not your responsibility to try to speak in tongues so you can prove that you say to somebody else. Oh, it's your quiet up in here now. It was a long time before I spoke in tongues, but when I started telling them my dreams, when I started telling them the things that I was seeing, they were just saying, oh, that's just intuition. Oh, that's just a hunch. No, I was prophesying at the age of 10, 12, 13 years old, but they didn't recognize the power of God on the inside of me and upon me because it was manifesting in a form that they didn't. Did that make sense? Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Pop, I'm studying this thing out. It's in my soul. I put it to the side. I come back to it, and I got trouble with it. I got so much trouble, I have to put it down. I'm praying this morning. I'm saying, God, why do I have trouble with what I know you're showing me in the text? And you know what he shares with me? He's saying it's your own upbringing that's giving you trouble. It's what you have been taught for years. My God, today, even after seeing the truth, even after knowing the truth, even after, I'm talking about line upon line, precept upon precept, I'm still having trouble with it, not because the word is wrong, because I've been filtered through this dogma. And I want to help you because there's some of you all right now, you're like, I, I see what he's saying, I see, I see it in the text, but you got trouble in your, now, okay, let me tell y'all something, tell y'all something. Man. Ray, you ain't going to believe this. Freshman in college, on, how many folk went to USM? 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 Y'all some wonderful, y'all some blessed people in here. It's blessed. I'm, I'm at USM walking in front of Commons. Y'all know what Commons is? Let me see if y'all, y'all know what Commons is, right? Okay. Walking in front of Commons, and I pray a prayer sincerely, my man. I said, God, 
ain't going to never find a wife because all these women wearing pants. I need y'all to hear me. I pray, my man, I prayed that prayer. God, I will never find a wife because all of these women wearing pants. And I prayed it, and I was, I was sincere. And then one day, bam, Lady <laughs> McGee came throwing that thing in them, in them Levi's. And I said, well, let me study this thing out. Let me see if this right. Let me, let, I'm just, I don't know, Lord. Let me, let, me, let me see, let me see, let me see, let me see. <laughs> so watch this. I actually go to the text that some of my mentors use to tell me that women go into hell for wearing pants. And when I studied it out, ain't had nothing to do with pants. It had nothing to do we leave our jeans. But can I help you? Even after I knew the truth, I still struggled. <laughs> My wife would walk out with them jeans. Like, Where you going, babe? Why you? Now I can't get in a dress. <laughs> I'm playing. I, I knew the truth, but I still struggle. And I'm telling you guys, there's some things I believe that God is going to show you in the text. Not Greg. I, he's going to show you in the text. But even after you see it, some of you guys that are going to still struggle, it's all right. Struggle through it. Why, why do I want to challenge you to struggle through it? Because there are some of you all that the Spirit of God has actually rested upon, and he has manifested himself in a variety of ways. But you feel that I don't have the Spirit of God upon me because I hadn't done what they said I'm supposed to do to have it. Am I making a little bit of sense in this place? Thank you, Jesus. So, so here's a tough text. In the book of Acts, chapter number 8, verse number 5. Everybody shout, he lives in me, and he rests upon me. The Spirit of God, he, he dual functions. He lives in me. He rests upon me. This, this, this presence in me is the certification that I am his. I belong to him. I'm in the family of God. But this resting upon me is for empowerment and for a sign to other people that God chooses to give a sign to. So in Acts chapter number 8, verse number 5, the Bible declares, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed, he preached to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was, everybody shout, much joy. Shout again, much joy. One more time, much joy. The Bible declares that there was much joy in that city. Look at verse number 12. When they, everybody shout, they believed. Shout again, they believed. The Bible declares when they believed, Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazing. The Spirit of God has two functions. He abides within, but he also rests upon what I see in this particular text so far, I see signs of the abiding presence of God on the inside of them. What are the signs? Number one, joy. Number two, um, they believed and had faith in the message. Number three, they were obedient to baptism. Number four, they actually made a commitment to follow their leader. These are all signs that the Spirit of God is on the inside of you. Because if he wasn't there, there'd be no joy. 
if he wasn't there, there'd be no commitment to follow nobody. I'm going to continue to do I hear what you're saying, Rev, but I'm going to do my own thing. If he wasn't on the inside of them, that way, I ain't getting in no water. That water cold, and it's going to chill my soul. Come on. I ain't doing that. So these are signs that he abides on the inside of them. Let's read the rest of the book. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, look at this. For he had not yet, what, y'all? He had not what? He had not yet fallen on any of them. There are signs, according to the text, that he's in them, but there's no manifestation yet that he rests upon them. He had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, now, why, why, why is this significant? Why is this significant? Um, to, I, I'm, I'm reading just a minute. So this is the same guy, Peter, who don't like Gentiles or Samaritans. Y'all remember the, the, the woman that was at the well with Jesus, the Samaritan woman? And, and Jesus is actually witnessing to this woman, and this woman becomes a great evangelist to the Samaritan towns. Remember the disciples' attitude? they like, Jesus, what, what are you talking with that woman for? Matter of fact, she even says, why are you talking to me? Because you know Jews ain't got nothing to do with the Samaritans. The next time God has to deal with Peter is that he gives him a dream of these four-footed animals coming down from heaven in the sheep. And, and God speaks to him, and he says, arise and eat. And he's like, I've never eaten anything unclean. And God says, don't call unclean what I have cleaned. And he wakes up out of the dream, and he goes down to, who's that, Cornelius? Goes down to Cornelius' house. And after ministering to Samaritans and Gentiles, God, ooh, God empowers them. The Spirit of God rests upon them, not just for their service, but he's trying to communicate a message to Peter. And this is what Peter says in Acts 10, 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit? Watch this. Just as we have. He was abiding in him. But I need my God to understand the same God that loves the Jews also loves the Samaritans and the Gentiles. So not only am I going to come in them, I'm going to rest upon them and give them, watch this, the same sign that I'm present that I gave to you. Am I making sense in this place? Let's deal with another tough text. Acts chapter number 16, verse number 25. So what happens is, can you, can you see, and I'm not even done, each of these texts, each of these texts in their isolated form, there are certain individuals who have established doctrines around all of these texts and not incorporated the other things. I'll give you an example, Acts uh, 2, I believe 38, where, where, where Peter says, repent, be baptized, and then you'll receive the Holy Spirit. And I got one friend, he lives by that. You got to repent and you got to be baptized. You can't get the Holy Ghost unless you first be baptized. Well, I'm getting ready to show you in a couple of minutes that if some folks receive, matter of fact, it was these folks. They got the Holy Ghost, and they weren't even baptized yet. So Peter, like, we're going we gonna, to we gonna put them in water? How about we do that? Acts chapter number 16, verse number 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately... All the doors were open, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. 27, when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out, cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembled with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. 
Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He says, I want to be, <laughs> look, man, I want to be saved. Look at the wisdom that Paul gives him. And they said, believe, everybody shall believe. believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once. Hmm. He and all his family then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he, everybody shout, rejoice. He rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Now, that's the end of that story. Let's see what's there and let's see what's not there. Uh, we see no tongues, and we actually see no evidence of the Spirit of God falling upon so you got to ask the question, why did the Spirit of God not fall upon this man? Well, why does the Spirit of God fall upon people? For two reasons. Number one, to empower them to serve him. Number two, when God needs to prove his presence upon the life of somebody. Was this jailer headed out to preach or to minister in any capacity? The scripture doesn't say that, and it doesn't even hint that he was getting ready to serve God in that capacity. So at that particular point, he didn't need the spirit upon him. Here's the second thing. Paul is not a bigot like Peter was. So I ain't got no problem with a Gentile or a Roman being saved. So I don't need to give you a sign to prove to Paul. Paul is not just, Paul is actually pro-Gentiles and not just pro-Jews. Are y'all with me? So there is no physical manifestation. The Spirit of God doesn't fall upon, but there are signs that he's abiding in. Here's one of the signs. He obeys the instructions to be baptized. He said, the Scripture declares that he, watch this, he is filled with joy. He is rejoicing, and the Bible declares he actually believed. There are signs that he's abiding on the inside. Am I making sense? One more tough text and then I'm done. Thank you, God. Acts chapter number 19, verse number 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Hmm. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, this is another controversial text that there are some that, that uh, teach from this particular text that these individuals, that they were believers, but they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. And that's actually not what this text demonstrates. And I'll show you why. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. The question is, what did they actually believe? Were they true believers in Jesus Christ, believing in the death, burial, or resurrection? That's actually not what the Scripture teaches. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with uh, the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe, watch this, in the one who was to come after him. So their faith is still an Old Testament uh, coming Messiah type faith. Their faith is not in the reality that this Messiah, Jesus, has come in the flesh. He has died, risen again, sitting at the right hand of the Father. So these boys, watch this, followers of John are not even saved yet. I know it says they believe, but what did they believe? Not the death, burial, and resurrection. They believed just like Abraham did, that, that, that a Messiah was coming. Can you see that? And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So there's the faith. There's the inward dwelling. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they begin speaking in tongues and prophesying. 
So, two functions of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit abides in. Not only does he abide in, he also rests upon. When he abides in, his desire is to produce the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, self-control, meekness, goodness, temperance, all of these fruits. Here's the reality. There are many of you all that are sitting here now. You actually have him in you, but he's hindered from producing the fruits of him being in you. And I'm sitting here today to help you to fix that. <laughs> Talking to one of my friends, and I was sharing with him a message I ministered last week and how I concluded with the idea, what you going to do with all that God on the inside of you? And some of you all ain't letting him do half of what he wants to do on the inside of you. He wants to produce joy. He wants to produce this peace. He wants to produce this temperance. What hinders him, according to the scripture, when you grieve him, when you grieve him, you hinder him from producing the fruit that he desires to produce. What is grief? I'll tell you what it is. It is when the spirit of God is convicting you in a certain area and you choose not to adhere to what he's challenging you to do, then the fruits within you are also limited and begin to dry up. So you walking with peace in you with no peace. You got joy in you with no joy. You got love in you, but you can't love because of your own disobedience that's causing him to grieve. And with his grief, the fruits are dried up. So what do you need to do today? I'll tell you, you need to repent. <laughs> you need to repent. Repent means to turn. It's not 360, it's 180. I'm going in this direction, but I choose to turn and go in this direction. This is what I want to do, but I know this is what he wants me to do. And for whatever reason, I've been continuing trying to plow in this direction. And while I'm going in this direction, my peace is gone. I'm moody now. Kids don't like being around me. Wife don't like being around me. Church members tolerate me because I'm going in this direction and my fruit is dried up. If you want your fruit to blossom again, turn and yield to what he wants you to do. Does that make sense? Heads bowed and eyes closed all over this building right now. If that's you and you're in this place and you're saying, Pastor, I am the one that my fruit is dried up. My joy is not what it should be. My peace, my love. And I know it's because of some things I hadn't been doing. If that's you, lift your hands. I want to see where you are. Right. Put your hands down. Let everybody look at me. Look at me. For those individuals that raised your hand, ain't no devil stopping you. Ain't nobody stopping you. Th these folks that's been hating on me on social media, they ain't stopping me. <laughs> They're not stopping me. The only person that can stop you is you. So I'm going to give you an opportunity, sir, madam, to get out of your own way. It's just like this. God, I confess what I've been doing is wrong. And I'm sorry. And I'm asking you to forgive me and also empower me as I choose to go in your direction Give me the strength to carry out what it is that you want me to do. Does that make sense? Heads bowed and eyes closed all over this building. Here's your opportunity to do it. I'm not walking you through the prayer. 
in your own little private prayer tent. Those of you all who are watching me online, this is your opportunity as well. God is ministering in you right now, and he wants to do greater. Take the handcuffs off of him and let him minister to you now. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you so much, God, for this opportunity. God, for you ministering in my brother and my sister today. I thank you for the conviction of the Holy Spirit that they, they can still feel, God. They, they, they could have gone to a place where their conscience was seared with a hot iron, but God, you kept them from that place. I pray, God, that you would establish around them good accountability, God. God, don't allow this to be just a secret battle, a secret struggle, but God, as they are determined to faithfully walk the path that you have, God, establish strong brothers and sisters, God, that can not only uphold them, God, but help them to see even areas of course correction. I thank you and I bless you for it now in Jesus' name. Everybody look up at me. Look up at me. Look down just a little bit. Thank you, Jesus. Something happened to me last Sunday. And, and it pointed to what, what I was teaching today. Um, I had to minister five times last week. I ministered Friday night. I ministered three times Saturday and then um, Sunday morning. And when this, like, this, this, is, this, is, this is tiring. This, this, drains, this drains you, not just emotionally, spiritually, physically, my body. When I finish preaching, it feels like, like leg day, Joe. <laughs> like I just finished leg day. That's how tired I am. Um, if my wife would let me, I would go take a nap every Sunday, but I don't get that privilege. <laughs> Maybe Father's Day, I'll get it, I don't know. So I asked the team that they would pray that God would strengthen me and empower me to carry out because I, I, I knew I had word, I had revelation, God had spoken to me. But in what I do, it requires energy to manifest it. And so I woke up Sunday morning. I told my intercessory team, I said, I don't know why, but I feel amazing. I feel good. And y'all saw me. I was skipping around acting a clown <laughs> Sunday. Watch this. As soon as I finished preaching, sister-in-law, I stood right here. And when Pastor I got the mic, I almost fainted right here off the stage. Real talk. I went in my office and I just sat. Usually I come out and I speak and say hello. I was, I, I was, you, you know what happened? For three days, I had some resting on me. Y'all were there Saturday. It was power. Every session, it was powerful. Every session, it was on. I had something resting on me. Why does the Spirit of God rest upon you for service and for a sign. I w it wasn't for a sign. I didn't, need to, I didn't need to prove nothing to nobody, but I did need to effectively carry out. So he rested upon me, and as soon as I said, Pastor I, she came on the stage, I literally felt, and when it, I went in the back because it lifted. That's why David says, Lord, take, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. You, you know what he was saying? He wasn't talking about an abiding presence because he didn't have that. In order for me to effectively do, to govern your people, I've got to have this presence, not just in me, but upon me. Because upon me gives me wisdom. Upon me gives me strength. Upon me gives me insight. Upon me, I need the Holy Ghost upon me. Now, I need you guys to hear me for a second because there are some of you all that are carrying out functions in your own strength. And God says you could be more effective if you would ask me to rest upon you. You'd be more powerful. You'd be more discerning if you would just simply ask me to rest up, up on you. See, 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 watch this. I need this. <laughs> I, I need this as a pastor, but I, not only do I need this as a pastor, there, there are times when I need this as a, as a father. As, as, as a father. 
but one, one of my kids, this was a couple of weeks ago, actually a couple of months ago, one of my kids doing something, and, and, and uh, I was on the phone with a, a buddy of mine, and I said, uh, they up to something, I just don't know what it is now. What was resting up on me was giving me insight. I heard what they said, but something was unsettled in my spirit because I felt something resting upon me. Well, lo and behold, two weeks later, I now know what I was feeling then. So I, some of y'all are trying your best to be a good little mama, be a good little daddy in your own strength when if you would just invite him to... <laughs> Let me, let, me, let, me tell you, let, me, let me tell you one of the things in this context that hinders this. You want to know what it is? It's called religion. Because, because in, your, in, in our context, whenever this, we, some, some, we, we just, we, some, some, some spooky or some weird has got to happen, and that ain't always the case. Will he manifest himself in the supernatural? Absolutely. Are there times when my body, there, there's been times literally when I had no control over my physical body. My mind is present. I feel the joy of the Lord, but I have no, my body is doing everything. And it wasn't no seizure. It wasn't no mental illness. The Holy Ghost is just taking over my body. Well, this thing that I need to be a good daddy he don't need to show up like this. And now some of you all, your religious mindset is actually preventing this. Make, make, it, make it plain, Pastor. Because in many of our minds, when this happened, if that don't happen, then this is not really happening. Because this is always associated with that. I grew up in one house where it was tongues. I grew up in one house where it was tongues. But then I went to another house where it wasn't tongues. The proof of spirituality was prophecy and word of knowledge. No real talk. In that house, ain't nobody care if you spoke in tongues. If you can't see, you ain't worth nothing. Now, now, now that was never communicated from the leadership, but the expectation of the, pre the people. Get up there and preach a good little word and don't prophesy at the end. You went by that. How he do it? He, he started out okay. He ain't give me no word at the end, so he must not really be anointed. They associated this with, with that. If God gives an external sign, that's, that's on him. I ain't worried about the sign. Because this, for Greg McGee, and I'm not talking about, I'm not, for Greg McGee, there are various manifestations when the Spirit of God is rest upon me. But there's only one I'm really concerned about. And that's actually me being more effective at what I'm called to do. Everybody who was filled with the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit rested upon, you can go through all those scriptures that I quoted, and you can go through the rest of the book, and every time you see Spirit upon, rushed upon, came upon, filled with, these people start doing something for God more effectively. And I'm telling you today, you are more effective mama, you are more effective daddy, you can be a more effective spouse, you can be a more effective son, you can be a more effective daughter, you can be a more effective employer, you can be a more effective employee, if you would invite the Spirit of God to rest. So this is all we're going to do. Every, we, all of those of you who will, we're just going to pray this simple prayer. Spirit of God, rest on me. <laughs> Close your eyes and lift both hands in this place. And I want you to have a conversation and ask him, rest on me, rest on me. Hey, rest on me. Rest upon me. Rest upon me so that we can be more effective. Rest, rest, rest upon me. Fall on us, God, fall, fall. Rush, rush upon us. Fill us now, 
come on, come on. Minister that rush, rush, rush. Feel, feel, feel. Fall, fall, fall. Fall here. Rest here. Live here. Rest here. Abide here. Fall here. Live here. Rest here. Live here. Abide here. Live here. 